Um, welcome everyone who's joining us now um, from uh, wherever you're joining us from. We appreciate you taking this time to join us for this study. I've got a few uh, guests here with us this evening, some from local, some from further afield. So I'd just like each person to introduce themselves and we'll start with those closest to the NEC and we'll slowly move out. So if you know your geography, you'll know who goes first and who goes last. <laughs> so my name is Sam um, and I've been working with Pastor Andrew for a while and it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. And what do you do for a living, Sam? Oh, my bad. Apologies. Um, so well, currently I'm working full time as a hospital pharmacist. Um, yeah, that's what I'm doing currently. But I also work with the conference as the peace outreach coordinator. Um, but obviously things aren't. Yeah, it's taken a different form this year. We're going to go online. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Okay. All right. Um, Doug, let's go with you next. Yes, uh, my name is Douglas. Good to be on this platform. Um, I'm here in Tennessee. I, I direct the uh, It Is Written School of Evangelism in partnership with Southern Adventist University. And so that's what I'm currently doing right now. Okay, Steve. Yeah, my name is Stephen Conway. I am here in Detroit, Michigan, and I'm a pastor. Someone's got their YouTube link on. Uh, Dr. Walsh, we go with you next. Eric Walsh, I am a medical doctor, um, public health specialist. I am based in Connecticut, outside of Hartford. Uh, glad to be on. I feel like I'm a friend of North England Conference and enjoy coming up there pretty regularly. Hope to be there again this summer in Manchester um, if they ever lift the travel embargoes. Uh, so I'm just happy to be on and um, good excuse for me to leave the clinic early today. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, finally, Charlene. Hi, I'm Charlene Coutte. I'm currently um, at Weimar Institute in California. But as you can tell from my accent, I'm born and raised NEC, very proud of it. Um, so it's glad to be, I'm glad to be here. Glad to have all you guys. If, let's start with a word of prayer um, for those of us here and also our online audience. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we pause to thank you for your goodness, for the privilege we have to see uh, through to the end of this week and the beginning of a Sabbath day, Lord. I pray that you would bless us and be with us, be with each one on the panel this evening as we discuss these important issues relating to uh, what the world's going through right now and the end of times that we're living in. We pray, Lord, that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit may guide and direct our thoughts and our minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that in our lifetime, what we're experiencing right now is, is quite a unique situation. Um, if not with the disease, then definitely with the global response to it. And a lot of people are saying many things about what's going on now. You hear all types of things um, said in Christian and religious and, uh, circles. Some people are saying this is the end of the world. Some people who aren't even Christian are beginning to wonder what all of this means. Um, is, this, is there some deeper meaning to what's happening today than just what we read um, on BBC or Fox News or CNN? Um, some people are saying it's the beginning of the end of the world. Some people are saying it's the beginning of a new world order. Other people are saying that it's the beginning of a Sunday law. Other people are saying that this is all because of 5G being installed around the world. Now, there's all types of theories going out there, but one thing is for certain that the world we're living in today is drastically different than the world 
we lived in a month or two months ago and some wonder if it's ever going to go back to being the same. Everyone's looking forward to the return of normal, but um, uh, who knows if normal, whatever that uh, looks like, is going to return. So there was a quote that went around on Facebook. Some of you may have seen it. It was a little poster, and I, I mentioned this to you guys, and some of our live audience may have seen it, where it said, uh, this is not Revelation 13, uh, this is Leviticus 13. So please remember 1 Corinthians 13 as we live under Romans 13. And it was quite a catchy little title. It went to different chapters in the Bible, each one, each one coincidentally with the number 13. So in some ways we wanted to unpack that, but just also talk about the wider issues of coronavirus or COVID-19, the world today, Bible prophecy, and the times in which we live. So I think for the beginning, we're going to go ahead and start with Revelation 13 and, and maybe delve into that just a little bit. Um, some people are saying that this is the fulfillment of Revelation 13 and other ones are saying, well, no, it's not. It's actually, it's a public health issue and that's what's happening right now. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm going to throw the question out to the panel or... Um, why is this not Revelation 13? Does anyone want to kind of begin with that? Or would you like me to pick someone or is someone going to go for it? I guess I'll, I'll jump in. Um, before we get to whether or not this is Revelation 13, let's step back and kind of look at this um, in the context of history. Um, I, this is not unprecedented in history. It's the first thing that I think is very important everyone understand. Exactly about 100 years ago, um, after the world fought World War I, the troops went home and brought home what is now called the Spanish flu um, that killed uh, anywhere between 50 and 100 million people. Um, we can go back to the bubonic plague in Europe, uh, back in the dark ages of Europe, um, and there have been many spikes in bad flu years and different diseases, everything from SARS to MERS that have happened. Uh, the difference um, is something that I think uh, Pastor Ramden pointed out, and that is the way that we are responding to this. We did not have the technology we had in those days that we have now. Um, and we also um, didn't have as much at stake in a sense. I mean, the world is a very populated place now with very dense cities that didn't exist so much 100 years ago. Um, what I will tell you although this, there's a historical context to these mass diseases, is that uh, there is, this disease is nowhere near as deadly. The case fatality rate is not as high as previous pandemics, not even SARS or MERS, was, they were both much higher. It is probably higher than the flu that we see every year. Um, and in the final analysis, we probably want to be in two or three times more deadly, maybe five times more deadly than the normal flu. Um, but what is going to be striking is the way that this is going to allow governments um, and certain special interests to move agendas forward. There's an excellent book, I should have brought it into the room, called uh, The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. I just recorded some sermons I'm going to put out on YouTube and on Audioverse uh, where I talk about this. And when these things happen, there are forces that be that will move their agendas forward. So it isn't an either or. This can be a both and. Mm -hmm. It can be public health. And at the same time, prophecy will be fulfilled because of what's happened. Hmm. Good point. I like that, the both-hand point. Um, okay. 
Does anyone want to kind of give us an overview for some people who may be listening who aren't quite sure what Revelation 13 is about, just a brief overview as to what the chapter encapsulates? Well, we see here in Revelation 13, this is just uh, something interesting to note. Of course, we have uh, the, the two beasts coming up. First of all, we have the first beast coming up out of the sea, which we know as being a place that's uh, highly populated. But then but then the, the prophecy doesn't end there, you know. Uh, well, th that part has, has been fulfilled. Um, then, of course, it's actually the second beast uh, that arises up in a scarcely populated area. Um, and then um, he coerces, you know, um, he coerces, he forces the world. You know, when you, you know, when you use the word cause or coerce, you know, we're talking about um, taking away people's freedoms, uh, causes the whole world to, to, to uh, um, wander after the first beast. And though we don't see this in its, in its fullest totality, we do see it in little, little small little increments behind the scenes. Um, and then, and then once, you know, once the, once those two, two beats come together, um, you know, then there will be a law being enforced, um, a death penalty, um, and uh, those who receive the mark of the beast, um, don't receive the mark of the beast, you know, will be, uh, will be killed. That's really an overall uh, picture of Revelation 13. Mm. So when you say two beasts, two beasts, what are, what are the, what's the first beast, what's the second beast? Uh, in terms of fulfillment or in terms of yeah. characteristics? Well, who is the first beast, who is the second beast? No doubt, no doubt historically, we know that the first beast is referring to the papacy. Um, we all know that um, when we allow the Bible to interpret itself and even, even old school Protestant commentaries will, um, will bring it to that same conclusion too. Uh, the second beast we know um, is being fulfilled, has been fulfilled as being uh, the United States in Bible prophecy. So we see here in fulfillment that the papacy and the, and, uh, and the, and the United States of America will, will merge, will, will come together and, um, and, and cause the whole world to wonder, uh, establish an image to the beast, an, an, an image to the papacy. And when you look at the uh, at the nature of the papacy, it was both a religious political system. Uh, and, so, and so the Bible uh, identifies a time when, when both religious, religion and politics will come together. And, and, and when you see that happening in its fullest uh, totality, uh, you know, then, then, then other things will come into pass, like laws, uh, laws being passed and all that other stuff. Yeah, if I could just um, interject here, I think one of the one of the things that Revelation chapter 13 um, focuses on is worship. And so um, what the first beast and the second beast, what they accomplish is ultimately um, is hovering around this concept of worship. And um, so for people who may believe that this, you know, this is Revelation chapter 13, that's one of the things that's missing. As was said, we do see governments taking steps and what have you, but the worship element is, um, we haven't seen that connection as of yet, at least. I mean, yeah. And I'm just to sort of piggyback or, 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 or go into that as well. It, a good place I see where this fits might be Matthew chapter 24. Um, 
where I forget the I forget the verse. Let me just go there quickly. Um, where it talks about verse seven: For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. So this is Jesus. And basically letting us know that things like these pestilences, coronaviruses, will take place and you can expect them to increase um, mm -hmm. through the process of time. And let, let me jump in and say that there's two, two, two very relevant pieces to that. One of them is, yes, there will be pestilence along with famine, earthquake. And this week we've had uh, earthquakes in, in the last three or four weeks, we've had an earthquake in the capital of Serbia, um, West Texas, Idaho, Puerto Rico, um, and a few other places around the world. Um, so we, we, we've watched, the, as, as was just described, this thing is increasing in frequency. Um, and so we see pestilence. But one of the things Jesus says about pestilence is, it is the, after this section of Matthew 24, he says, this is the beginning of sorrows. Mm -hmm. There's a pivot that is about to happen prophetically that actually points you to Revelation chapter 13 that speaks to what is actually about to happen. Um, and that is a time of, of great tribulation for believers. So that, that's the first part of it. The second part I want to mention is that the seven last plagues parallel um, the, the, the 10 plagues of Egypt. And the way that it parallels is that the last seven plagues of Egypt, the, believe, the, the, Israel, the, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, did not suffer any of the last seven. Just as we, the believers in the last days, will not suffer any of the seven last plagues, right? We will, we will be spared mm -hmm. from those plagues. Here's the secret. If the seven last plagues are seven last plagues, that means there must be plagues before them. They wouldn't be the last plagues if there weren't plagues before them. That means that there are plagues coming that we will, um, if you use the correlation all the way through to uh, Egypt in, in, in Exodus, that means there are gonna be some pestilence and plagues that come that we will suffer from. And I believe that this is one of those pestilences. I, again, as a physician and public health person, I don't think this is as bad as it's gonna get. I think. One day, a, a, a MERS, a SARS, an Ebola, something of that magnitude will break loose on the world. And instead of dealing with, you know, a thousand deaths here and a two thousand deaths there, we're going to be dealing with tens of thousands of deaths someday. Um, hopefully not, but that I, I can see that happening. So remember that we are in a time of pestilence, a time of famine, a time of earthquake that pivots the world towards Revelation 13 and the tribulation that is going to come on God's people. Yeah, let me jump in and just add to that. I think, you know, certainly what Dr. Walsh is sharing is, is true. It, it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I think one of, the, one of the bridges between what we're experiencing right now and the worship element in Revelation chapter 13 is um, what's on full display is the frailty of human governments, the frailty of human mm -hmm. systems. I mean, I would have never imagined that uh, European countries would be calling their citizens who are uh, studying abroad here in the United States and telling them, you need to leave that place. You need to get out of there. You need to come home because they know and they've recognized what we recognize. And that is that our healthcare system is not, you know, is not designed to be able to handle such a heavy load of people just flooding. Here in Detroit, we've had two hospitals that have essentially turned people away because they're at capacity. Um, nobody's, you know, and now, you know, I wasn't around for the Spanish flu, but in my lifetime, 
I've never heard or seen of anything like that in a place where I've lived, where people can't get the care, not because of a financial reason or anything like that, but hospitals simply saying we're at capacity. But this realization of the frailty of human systems is, I believe, one of the things that will ultimately cause the shift towards God. Because, man, we trust it in our healthcare system or in our government or in our leaders or whatever it is we were trusting in. And now we see that none of these things or none of these people can help us. Where else is there to turn but to God? Completely mm. agree. I think um, when these things start to increase and the magnitude of them increase also, the places where people look to for solutions um, will probably be struggling to, to, to give those solutions. And so that's when, you know, we need, we need help that you guys can't provide. And that's where places like God, people like God come in and God, spiritualism, things like that. You know, what's very interesting, um, you know, when, when we look at the sign of pestilences, there's also another sign that's very interesting that we see being fulfilled now. I think it's in the book of Luke where it says that men's hearts shall fail them for fear. Mm. Um, and if there's anything that this, uh, that, that, this pest, uh, that this pandemic has created on a global level, it's created fear, no doubt about it. And I've read articles where they, they say that, uh, you know, fear breaks down your immune system, you know, it has health ramifications. But, but looking at it from another angle, you know, I'm also observing, it's a very interesting uh, observation that, that we're noticing is that how much are people willing to give up when they're living in fear? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's another interesting phenomenon. How much are you willing to give up uh, when you're living in fear? And it's, it's, it's true. It's, and, and, and people know this. People who, who love to control, they know this. It's a psychological thing. You can only control people when they're living in fear. You can only manipulate people when they're living in fear. You can't manipulate and control people when, when, you know what I mean? when they're enlightened and they're not living in fear. So I think, I think fear breaks down a certain barrier for something else to come in. Uh, I don't know what that something else is. You know, we could speculate, you know, uh, but, but that's, that, that's also something, also something that, that's interesting that's happening to people living in fear and what are they willing to give up? And mm. who are they looking to? Who are they looking to, 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 to save them in, in this time of fear? Mm. Dr. Oh, Walsh. Oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Adam. I was just going to say that the, the kind of pivoting back to the point you mentioned earlier where you said uh, it's not whether it's either or it's either it is revelation 13 or it's not Re revelation 13 but um this could be a situation where it's both and and i think uh, a few of the points that have been mentioned where people are saying well maybe it's uh, uh, steve uh, as you mentioned you said well it's not got the element of worship involved at the minute but like like you mentioned doug we're seeing fear and, and there's measures that are being put in place. Like, I don't know, in, in England, they're, they're, they're talking about now the potential of having a immunity certificate or a Corona passport that, that, that people would have where you, you, you could show that you've had it or you've got vaccination against it or something like that. And in, I don't know who, who knows what the implications of that might be, or if it's just people talking at the minute or whether it will be a reality, but the fact that it's being talked about is, is, um, in, in many ways, a cause of concern, but it's also a sign of the times we're living in. So, ha yeah, I just wanted to come bring that point that it's a, we're seeing, it may not be the end, but it's a means to the end. Let, let me jump in, because I think what was just said about fear, as a physician, 
one of the things that is very true is that when people are stressed, you do break down their immune system. So you increase their catecholamines, such as adrenaline, cortisol. When that happens, you actually do lower people's immune system. So it's ironic, all of the hoopla around this is actually probably gonna increase the chance that some people get the virus because their immune system won't be functioning at top capacity. But Satan loves fear. He uses fear to manipulate people, just as was just said. Um, and something else that was just said, I think Stephen said it, um, really important is um, we are now learning that we can't trust things we thought we could trust. The yeah. fragility of these systems, and it's not just America. The truth of the matter is I don't believe the Chinese have this anywhere near under control as they're making out that they have it because they can just tell us whatever they want. What are we going to do about it? Um, when you look at Europe, I mean, Europe is a, you know, as a physician, I look at Europe as relative as a pretty sophisticated medical system across the continent and into Great Britain. And yet look at Italy. I mean, Italy seems to not even be able to control this thing at all. And um, Spain, the same thing. And I know those may not be as kind of as wealthy countries as, as England or Germany, but um, what is challenging right now, when you think about all of this, um, is that people are looking to the government to fix this. And one of the, in the, in the message I gave last night, one of the things that's evident is that the size of government will grow. People are gonna want government bigger to protect them going forward. Something else that was said that is critical to the Christian. People are gonna be willing to give up their freedoms. This is how the end happens. And I believe this is a test run around people being, being willing to give up their freedoms in order to feel safe so they can go back to Starbucks, go back to the movie theater, go back to the gym. They'll be, almost be willing to give up anything. And that's part of the scary thing. Let me read a verse, um, Jeremiah 17, Verse five says, thus saith the Lord God, curse be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Verse seven says, but blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. The difference between the Christian in this time and the world is the world is gonna trust the arm of flesh and be cursed. The Christian is gonna trust the Lord and be blessed. Okay. Yeah, let me just, let me just add add a little something to that um, in, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse nine, it says, then you'll be arrested, persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. I think one of the other things that we are seeing, um, we're seeing the fragility of the systems and a switch in terms of who people are depending on in terms of desiring that they fix the situation. But also, I think we're seeing um, we're seeing what human beings are capable of, right? Um, humanity, because the, at the end of the day, at least from my perspective, um, leaders are going to do what they believe is going to get them reelected and what's going to maintain their power. And so, it's not necessarily going to come from. It's not going to be because the leaders went to bed at night and dreamed up coming up with laws and so forth and so on. But just like we're seeing, as was said by a couple of people, I think Doug and Dr. Walsh, is gonna be because of the pressure of the people. Look, do something. You've gotta do something. So we see that pressure on leadership um, from people, but we also see how people are willing to treat one another when they are afraid. If I'm afraid, uh, and we've seen, we've seen, or we've seen little bits of it anyway, people calling the authorities because um, their neighbors have done such as I read a story last week about some people who looked at the license plates 
of some of their neighbors who were some construction workers. And they cut down a tree and drug it out in front of their driveway. And they were armed. And when the people tried to come out, they literally came, ran up on them. Like, you're not going anywhere. You need to be quarantined. When the real authorities got there, everybody dispersed. But I, when I read the story, I just thought to myself, wow, how quickly can we turn on one another? I mean, we're neighbors and waving at each other one day and let a pandemic hit. And the next thing you know, we're willing to turn each other in, gun each other down, do whatever uh, is necessary in order to, quote unquote, protect ourselves or protect society. You know what? I think. Uh, sorry, go ahead. But you know, what's very interesting, you know, there's that quote that says um, character is revealed in a time of crisis. And you know, you know, I've I've always when I've, I've since day one I, I read that quote I've always applied it on an individual level, but but all since since all this has happened, you know this this principle this uh, quote can also apply on a political level, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in a time of crisis, you know, you you see the true colors of 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 a political party, you know, in a, in a time of crisis, and uh, and and they're coming out of the woodworks, you know. Um, and, and so I think like, and this is the pastoral side coming out in the sense that, you know, I think as, as pastors, you know, people are living in fear. Uh, people are living in times of uncertainty. And, and as pastors, we need to give them that, that we need to preach to them and encourage them with confidence and certainty that it can only be found in Jesus as in the word of God. But I, I think our approach also needs to be holistic at the same time that we're, 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 um, we're preaching to them faith and and, and certainty and confidence, we also need to uh, preach to them awareness and alertness. And, and there's a difference. There's a difference between, between fear and being alert, you know? Uh, and I think, I think we need, we, we, our approach needs to be holistic. Um, and, and yeah, it's great to be, fa to be faithful and, and, and uh, have confidence in the word of God, but at the same time, stay awake, stay alert at the same time, you know? Watch these things. And I think what was mentioned earlier on, it's it's a it's a preview. It's not the real thing yet, but it's a preview of Revelation 13. I think the quote, um, this is not Revelation 13. I read the quote. It said, "This is not Revelation 13 yet." So whoever was the author of that, uh, I think putting that yet was intentional. This is not Revelation 13 yet. So I just want to bring out that word yet, uh, and, and emphasize that. Yeah, I think it's really important that we have the time. That we 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 are alert, as you're saying, um, Pastor Doug. That we don't be complacent and kind of bury our heads in the ground like an ostrich. It's giving us a view into the world that we actually live in. And to be honest, it's been an eye opener for me because I feel like I had no idea the capacity for humanity for selfishness and mm. the stories that I've been seeing on the the news and how people are treating each other, how people are. Mm um acting in this crisis it's it's been really shocking for me and to be honest i'm i'm not fearful per se of the the virus i'm more concerned about people mm. i'm more concerned about our capacity of how we treat each other and um like you're saying your neighbor's turning on you and we know there'll come a time where you know the people that we think are closest to us could be the very people that would um betray us but I think it's very sobering for us to realize that when humanity is afraid and they don't have the grounding influence of a knowledge of Christ, that, that there's actually no bounds to what they will do in order to secure their own personal um, safety. And 
my husband just went out shopping today um he went on behalf of a few families and he just said it was crazy out there and um, he felt it was a quite a horrible experience for him actually simply because people are the fear is powerful you can feel the fear he said on people's faces we have a hope and that kind of is an amazing filter of how we can kind of um act but when people are literally I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this or I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that and then they're looking at you like do you have it it's it's really really hard for people to um live in a world without hope um and things like this do leave people hopeless so I think it's a really amazing opportunity for us who do have more understanding of these things to be able to impact them um and kind of steer away from the selfish kind of viewpoint to to something greater yeah. I just want to jump in and say I, I, when in my messages on this I don't call this a pandemic I call it a panic demic um, <laughs> because really the fear of this is going to be far more deadly than the viruses in the long run there's going to be a collective uh, post-traumatic uh, psychological scarring of the minds of people around the world because of this. Will people really go back into movie theaters or churches after this? Uh, people are afraid just to be around people, never mind the fights over toilet paper, which in <clears throat> toilet paper doesn't stop the virus. I don't know why everybody's fighting for toilet paper. Um, the gun stores in America are selling out, um, which is one of the scariest part of this. Uh, people are buying guns. I'm getting emails to get concealed uh, weapons licenses in multiple states. Never got those before this pandemic. Um, and as a provider, I've talked to some of my colleagues in other parts of the country who are doing coronavirus testing. And one of my colleagues in New York told me that when they tell someone that you don't qualify for the test, just go home and self quarantine for, you know, 10 or 14 days, people are spitting on them, coughing on them. People are, um, calling them every name outside of their name because they won't test them. So when you guys talk about how this fear is coming across. And it's a great quote um, that in crisis, you see people's character. We are seeing that collectively. When we, when we extracted God from the schools, stopped prayer from the schools, inserted humanism, secularism, made the religion of America and the world evolution and atheism, we developed the character of self that the fittest, the strongest should survive. Uh, and when these crises come, that's what we're going to see. And let me tell you what it should throw your mind back to, quoting Ellen White, as she speaks to the Noetian world, the antediluvian world, it is because their perverted appetite, she says, were not being satisfied that they resorted to violence to get what they want. We will soon see that just as Jesus says at the end of Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end. So just, just on, on the point of people doing whatever to get what they can for them. In where I'm living, Wolverhampton, so it's got to the stage where when you finish work, you've got to hide your NHS, you've got to hide your, your ID. People have been held at knife point because shops, what they've done is at, for certain times, they've allowed um, hospital staff to be able to get their stuff. So people have been held at knife point so that they can get their badges, so that they can go and get their stuff from the shop. So these are some of the things that um, people have resorted to just to, and it just told you where characters revealed in crisis. Characters revealed in crisis. 
I wanted to go back to a point you made, Steve, about how this reveals the fragility of, 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 of the systems that people have put their trust in the healthcare system or whatever. But I think on the flip side of that, at least for myself, one thing that struck me is it, it also reveals to us we've had a snapshot of how powerful governments are as well. Like overnight, okay, schools are shut, cinemas, clubs, bars, gyms, any place like that is shut. Only shops open can be food shops. Petrol stations can stay open or gas stations, as you say in America, that um, they can stay open. If you can work from home, work from home and stay in your house. You're only allowed outside your house once a day. And at least in England, they haven't done it, but we're here in other parts of the world where they're like, they're using tracking software to track your phone if you've been out the house more than once or if you haven't been out the house more than once. So yes, it does. I think we are seeing the fragility of, of, of the systems of the world that people put their faith in. At the same time, we're seeing how much power uh, governments or authorities have. And I just wanted to throw a question out to you, yourself, Steve, or, or Dr. Walsh or, or, or Doug. Um, you, you were in America during the time of 9-11. Are you seeing any similarities between the response this time as that time? Well, yeah. I, I think already, already some of the things have been mentioned. One of the things is the, um, you know, the fear that, that grips people. I remember where I was um, September 11, 2001. I remember running to the nearest, uh, uh, you know, news uh, broadcast in uh, in Tennessee where I was, and I remember just standing there in awe. And um, I remember the first time traveling after that. And I think that's that that's what's in the back of people's minds. The the first time traveling after that, there was a there was a very real military presence, like I've never seen here in the United States. I mean, you go to the bus station. I was in the airport, you got F-16 sitting right out of the window. You got, you know, um, National Guardsmen armed, standing out front. Um, and so there was a very, there was a very visible military presence. I think kind of what's, and that's, that's missing from what we're seeing right now. We also saw the swift government action in terms of shutting down all flights and whatnot, uh, the power of the government as you mentioned, but I think what's in the back of people's minds right now, there's been, man, I, for the past three weeks, I've been getting the same text message from like five or eight different sources, and it's all pointing in the same direction, that the government is going to release the National Guard in the next 24 to 48 hours, and I've literally gotten that from eight different, um, uh, I mean, I've gotten it like 15 times, but, you know, first, uh, somebody who's close to President Trump or my cousin who works in the governor's office or da, 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 this, that, and the other. So I think there's this fear because people recognize the type of power that the government has. And, you know, with, with everything that's going on, it's like, how are we going to actually police who goes out of their home and how many times they go out of their home? And there's, there's this, um, this fear that the government is going to mobilize, whether it's the National Guard or the military, in order to enforce these things and, and make people do them. So um, that's, the, that's the, the only element that's missing, but the fear and the power of the government, those, those I've seen. You know what's very interesting, um, Adam, <clears throat> I, was, I was in, um, you remember, uh, I was there in New York. You guys probably remember, I was there in New York. Mm -hmm. with a mutual 
friend of ours uh, when when 9/11 happened. And his, this is a very this is a very interesting observation I've noticed as I parallel my experience of 9/11 uh, and now. This virus has done more than what this one terrorist act has done to this world. Mm. This virus. Let me give you an example. Um, when when 9/11 hit, there was suspicion, there was fear, and there was distrust to anybody that looked like a certain ethnic group. You know what I mean? If if mm. you look if you look like an ethnic group, you, mm. they were, but but if you saw a white guy from Alabama, you know, in the elevator, there was no fear towards that person. Mm. But it was, it, was Adam, time, it was the first time it was kind of safe to be black in America. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watch it now. Watch it. <laughs> and uh, you know, you, you remember? You remember? It was a, a few weeks after that, Adam. I flew over to England. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I remember. Was waiting for me at the airport. Uh, I couldn't get. They interrogated me. You know, because back I had a bit of a beard. You know, I was you, a brown skin. You know, and I had so many visa stamps on my passport, but I had didn't have any money. And so they were asking me like, "Who's funding this?" And I was saying, "My religious." You know what I mean? You know, my religious church. And all the parallels, you know, to that. But, you know, and so if you look, if you look Middle Eastern, it, you know, even my friend who's a Sikh, you know what I mean? He, they, they categorized him. Now, it's different. You even sneeze. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, or red. You just cough, my brother. You just sneeze. There's distrust everywhere, regardless of what ethnic group you belong to. No matter what religion background you come from, you just cough and sneeze. There's distrust right there. So what this virus has done, this virus has done more, you know, uh, to, to, uh, impacted more than what one terrorist attack has done. Mm. Let me tell you something. Let me, that let me jump in on that real, real quick. The, it's funny because I was doing an interview with NBC News here around some of the stuff we're doing at our clinic. And the guy, the cameraman wouldn't do it inside. He would stay, he needed to stay like 12 feet from me. I, I walked my phone over to show him something. He's like, you're a doctor. I'm a very afraid of you right now. I don't want you anywhere near me. <laughs> you are, man, what you talking about? Um, so he's right, there's a serious amount of weird fear. It's worse than 9-11. Here's one of the things I wanna point out is the difference between 9-11 though. When 9-11 happened, the next weekend and the weekend after that, every church in America was full. Mm -hmm. In this crisis, every church in America is empty. So spiritually, it's almost, it's, it's not the churches are empty on by choice, but it just, it shows you that, you know, it, it, the reaction can't be the same because of the crisis that, that hit. Um, I also want to mention something else. Remember I talked about the shock doctrine by Naomi Klein? When 9-11 hit, the Patriot Act came out so fast that there are some who argue there was no way they could have written that document in the time between the terrorist attack and the time it was released. So you can look it up for yourself and see if you, if you believe that. But I believe that that's what's happening now. There's something happening behind the scenes to consolidate power and to gain more control. Adam makes an amazing point that in fact, um, the government sh are showing their strength. There was a guy paddle boarding, I think off the coast of Florida by himself. It wasn't two people on the paddle board. He was just standing there rowing and, the, and he was arrested. My question is, who was he going to give the virus to out in the middle of the ocean all by himself paddleboarding? Why would you arrest the man? You see what I'm saying? It's almost like now there's a flex of power around being able to control us. And I believe, here's the key word, a precedent is being set. 
so that later on, when those who they are going to blame for the environmental breakdown, the fires in Australia, the tornadoes and hurricanes, the, the rising waters, the, the, the melting glaciers, one day when the environment, as Ellen White talks about in the Great Controversy, that when the environment, as God's spirit is withdrawn from the earth and environment begins to break down, they're going to find a scapegoat and that will be those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's going to pivot. That's that pivot I was talking about earlier. And all of a sudden, they're going to say, whose fault is it? Theirs. But they would have already established through the Patriot Act and the precedents being setting now that if you go against what is the common good, as Pope Francis keeps saying, if you go against what is the common good, you are liable, you should be arrested, you should be persecuted. And here's the one I don't want y'all to miss. You should be publicly shamed on TikTok mm. and on Facebook and on Twitter and all the rest of that foolishness. You should be publicly shamed because you're not complying with what everyone else is doing. And that is going to be the most dangerous part of the persecution that's about to come. Mm. Something Sam, you had a point? Yeah, something else I've seen. So I had a few friends, people that I know, um, well, it started this. So my, one of my work colleagues, she calls me, she's saying, Sam, I want to do some volunteering. Um, there's a crisis, the crisis is going on. I'm sitting here in my plush house. Is there anything that, um, you know, that you can, that, that's going on? Let me know of any opportunities. My friend who's left church phones me. And we're speaking, he goes, Sam, let me know if the church is dropping any people off the elderly, any food off the elderly people. Um, I, I want to get involved. And it just made me, that's not a conversation that would have organically come up mm. um, prior to this time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's created a space where people are open to things that they wouldn't necessarily have conversations and even at work, I've had someone talking about, um, you know, this is where prayer comes in. People have been open to conversations that they haven't been open to, say, prior to now. Um, but thanks for bringing up that point, Sam. I just wanted to maybe, like, shift a little bit in our, in, in our discussion or our study. Um, Dr. Walsh made the point that after 9-11, the churches were full, whereas now the churches obviously are empty because they're closed down. So I wanted to uh, throw the question out there. What does Christianity look like? What does it look like practically right now when, you know, we can't gather and people are even afraid of you walking close to them or, or things like that? So how, how, how do we, you know, the, the, the classic, how do we let our light shine? How do we, how do we be a witness for God in, in these times? Yeah, I think people are, I think people are hungry um, along with the world looking for somebody to blame. People are also looking for hope because of that fear, uh, because there's, you know, no real uh, immediate answers. People are looking for hope. So, you know, I have a, a blunt smoking cousin and his brother called me like, Steve, Steve, man, is this one of the seven last plagues, man? And I'm like, uh, what, what, what you mean? So we struck up a conversation. He had not called me and asked a, a, a biblical question or a question of a biblical character for some time. Uh, my wife and I had um, a friend of ours who's, um, who's actually Hindu. Uh, we've, we started um, a couple of weeks back, we started just doing our family worship, putting it up on social media. And man, we were just shocked, man. We had people that we went to, we went to public high school in Cleveland, Ohio. We had people from 
high school reaching out to us. We had the opportunity to pray with people. We had folks from just various different walks of life. Of course, we have Christian circles of friends, but one of the things that was um, immensely surprising to us was the number of non-Christian friends who were tuning in and who were sending us prayer requests and who were sharing, um, um, doing, uh, what do they call it? Watch parties or whatever, and sharing it with people because there are so many folks who have just been desirous of hope during these times. So I think, uh, and my wife has brought this up that, you know, this, although, you know, there's all the other things we've talked about that perhaps this is also being used by God to be able to get us out of our, you know, let's get into the four walls of the building and let's do church. And it's pushing us more towards an Acts chapter two, where we have to make personal connection, where there's personal care, where I'm reaching out to brother X or sister Y, and I'm praying with individuals on a day by day basis. Let me tell you, I've been connecting with members from my church every single day. And literally about three years ago, I was complaining. I said, man, I need, to, I need to be able to influence my members. You know, if they just show up on Tuesday for life class, and if they show up at church and maybe, uh, you know, some ministry we have going on, I may see them three times a week. But now I'm literally connecting on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think God is, is, is trying to use this to get us out of our our normal church setting, our traditional, where we just do our own thing during the week, show up in the building, you know, we floss with, you know, whether it's, you know, my vegan meal or how sharp I'm dressed or, you know, how holy I am or whatnot. And now it's how much do you really care about your brothers and sisters? How much are you reaching out to them? How much are you connecting with them? And so I think it's a, it's a challenge for the church to move towards Acts chapter two. I think our I think our ministry uh, we're we're in a phase where um, the way we do church we've got to be a, a more innovative now um, in the way we do church and of course this is right here the platform of Zoom but I also want to acknowledge this uh, as as young people we can step up to the uh, to the innovation of church I know for a fact that there are some members in our church who are falling through the cracks. And they need to be ministered. The ones that don't know how to use internet, the ones that don't even have wireless in their home, you know, uh, they don't even know how to use a phone. These are the ones that are falling through the cracks. These are the old schoolers, like we just show up to church, you know. And so, and so, um, there's a population. There's a population of them out there, um, and they're falling through the cracks. And so, visitation, like for us, this is cool. Like one click of a button, I see you, Adam. I see everybody here. But there's a population out there. They're falling through the cracks. And so, and so we've got to be very innovative. I just bumped into a, a church member at Walmart just earlier on today. This is the visitation they're doing now. They're, they're, driving up to the, they're driving up to the driveway, toot the horn, waving from the car, you know what I mean? And on the phone, just praying for them. That's visitation today, man. You know, to those that are falling through the cracks, leave something in their front porch, you know? And when the door's closed and that person runs and grabs, it, grabs a box from the front porch, I mean, it's, it's, you know, and so I just, you know, in this time of innovation, I, I just want to remember those that are falling through the cracks, you know, they don't, they don't have what we have, I don't know how to use it. And, and let me, let me jump in. I think a couple weeks ago, I went and visited one of my, my elderly aunt and I didn't wave from the car. I went inside and we had worship and stuff and she really appreciated it. Um, and I, I think you can be safe even going inside 
if you have a mask and you, you know, make sure you hand sanitize, um, you can go in and visit some of these folks because I, I think what, what Pastor Doug is saying is, is actually pretty profound. Um, the one problem with what's happening is we're going to open up. I mean, I, I, I've probably reached way more, you know, I've been posting videos and doing stuff over the last week. I probably reached thousands more people I would have ever done if I had just, all of my speaking engagement hadn't been canceled and I'd have gone to these churches. But there's a group that is going to fall through the crack that we need to make sure that we find a way to to support um, because they're going to need to support more than anybody. They're the most, they're actually the group that is vulnerable in this crisis. Most of us, if we get this virus, we, we might not even know we have it. Uh, um, that, that's the nature of this virus. It's the elderly. And one of the reasons why Italy is hit so hard is because 26% of their population is over like 60 or 65 compared to like 15% in the United States. So that's why they're, they, they've, they've gotten hit. One of the reasons they got hit so hard, plus the fact they live in closer quarters. Um, so I think going back to our original kind of study, this is where 1 Corinthians 13 comes in. Mm. This is where the love of the church must be shown. Number one, this is, you know, when Jesus saw, when, when the, when the, when the um, man who was born blind um, and the disciples saw him, they said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither. This is so that God can be glorified, so that the world will see the glory of God. Maybe this, maybe this pandemic is an opportunity for the church to step up and show the glory of God by visiting people, by dropping off food, as somebody just mentioned, having Bible studies like this, maybe something probably is going to happen. Because let me tell you something, no other religion in the world besides Bible-based Christianity has the answer for what's happening right now. And it is, a, it is an opportunity for all of us who are believers. Mm -hmm. Something that, that kind of hit me last week when we did the Youth Week of Prayer online, I just didn't realize that so many young people will be tuning in night after night after night after night after night. Um, I just, you know, when something just, you just, I just didn't think that that would be the case. I don't know, I don't know why I didn't think that. I just think you get some people on Monday, you get some people on Friday, and you get some people on Saturday. Um, and it just showed me that in the times that we're in, people still want that spiritual connection. Um, things that, you know, that we did, we, they, had a, they had a song service last week and I was there, I was singing along in my house, I was by myself. And it just made me think, um, you know, sometimes these things which we take for granted, people still need them. Um, people still need to worship. And I think even though we're doing it online and that's what it looks like at the moment, um, it's still a space that I think we need to make sure what we tune into because, and I think for young people as well, and as we're saying for the vulnerable people, um, we need to find ways to reach out to the vulnerable people on Sabbath. That's something that I need to be thinking about. Because I know with my youth group, what we've done is, well, not all of us, but a couple of us, we've been dropping off food to elderly people. But on Sabbaths, if they haven't got free and linked up, then internet's going to be a problem for some of them. That's true. Appreciate the thoughts, guys. I wanted to kind of uh, maybe go to the last chapter and an issue that we touched on at the beginning, and that was how, how we as Christians relate to civil government during this time. Um, Romans 13 is a chapter that, that Paul wrote while um, wrote to the Christians in Rome while Nero, who's one of the worst emperors there ever was, was the emperor. That's kind of the context of the time. He writes this chapter, this, this book to the Romans. They're living under Emperor Nero, 
And in Romans chapter 13, he, 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 he spells out how Christians should relate to the government of, of, of their time. And in the context of the book of Romans, it was to the Roman government, uh, Roman Empire, and to Emperor Nero at the time. How, 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 how does that, you know, what lessons do we learn from that? Or what lessons do we pull from those chapters for today and how we should live as Christians and our churches and, and as pastors? I'm sure some of you have seen those churches. There was a pastor down in Florida recently. I think it was this week who got arrested because he kept his 500 or 1,000 member church open. And I think some of the you know, people say, well, you know, he's, he's demonstrating his faith. He's keeping his church open. But at the same time, uh, you know, how, how do we relate to the government and the civil guidelines during this particular um, issue that we're going through right now? Yeah, I think it's very, that's a, that's a tough one. It may at first glance seem, seem easier than it actually is. Um, I read the article about the gentleman, actually several gentlemen, one, he didn't get arrested, but this is a brother down in Louisiana who was doing something similar. Um, I, um, I, I think, you know, there is the, the desire to do and act according to one's conscience. But in reading about that particular pastor from Florida who was arrested, they used, <laughs> and not that their use of scripture was right or whatnot but they said well hey doesn't the bible teach that you should love your neighbor as well and so they were kind of coming from this the, the the angle of this health interest like man if you really loved your neighbor would wouldn't you do and i thought to myself like wow that is a um it's a it's an issue that that's extremely challenging what i what my mind goes to is that Paul over and over again in the New Testament, in fact, in almost every one of his letters in the New Testament, he makes this statement, um, and it goes something like this, that you would give no occasion for those who are in darkness to be able to ridicule you, right, or speak ill of you, and so um, to me, that's a powerful principle because there are things that perhaps we can do but yet those things will be misunderstood and those things will be misconstrued. Now, it's not possible for us to do everything in a way so that what we say and what we do can never be misunderstood. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what Paul was saying either, but at least Paul was saying that we as Christians, we have a responsibility to let our light shine and we need to be wise in terms of how we do that. Um, I know for myself and some of my pastoral colleagues, it has been knowing how afraid people are and what's going on and knowing, hoping by the grace of God that things will be lifted. Um, we don't want to do anything to damage the reputation of God's church and God's believers because we acted in such and such a way. And so I feel like um, in Romans chapter 13, when it's not calling us to to go against our conscience and again i don't know what everybody's conscience tells them during this time but i feel like it's safe for us to to be able to you know to move in harmony with what they're asking us to do as long as it's not causing us to violate conscience because uh, the world is looking for reasons to spit on christians um and bible believers and so uh, we don't want to give them we don't want to give them any more fuel than we already have. 
Yeah, I want to jump in on that too, because that is a that was a tough one for me initially. I was like, why are we closing our churches? You know, there's some 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 public health things that we could do to try and protect ourselves. But the, the, the other side of this, besides the fact that churches are being sued in South Korea, pastors have been arrested here, is the stories where in one church, it might have been in Detroit, um, but there was one church where the bishop, the pastor, and the elders all died of the coronavirus. Um, you know, so um, you know, how would we look if we have a gathering and, you know, five or six of the elderly people in our church actually get the coronavirus and die. It would it'd be kind of difficult to explain that away. But mm -hmm. the brilliance, the brilliance of the enemy is he will use a very legitimate threat like this one to move the agenda where he wants it to. Again, it's not either or, it's both and. And I honestly believe that that's part of what's happening here, that this is going to be used to come against the church by the, the same kind of style of ridicule that we're talking about. Yeah. I think the, the, the verse for me that jumps out from Romans 13 is verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Um, for me, mm. what's been most sobering about this is that you know, I've grown up on the the tired statement that Jesus is coming soon. It was my parents, you know, they were told by their parents. And, you know, when I got taught it, it was already a tired statement. So that statement, you know, I've been raised Christian and all of the things that come with that. Um, and it's something that you believe, you grow up believing, but it's tired. It's lost its power. And for me, I've, you know, I've got two young kids and I thought to myself, it is high time that I wake up out of sleep because that statement is not just a tired statement that gets passed down through the generations of Adventism. How on earth do I live the practical reality of that statement to my children? How, what home are we going to um, establish? How am I gonna conduct myself so that they don't have that, um, they don't, fall into that legacy of it being a tired statement but it's active like Jesus is coming soon it is real and what does that mean for them how am I going to do that day by day so for me they're the questions I'm asking myself and um the fact that we actually have the hope of salvation how do I share that with others too we have to be able to live in a way that practically demonstrates um this hope that we have my kids will see that and if time does continue to tarry a little, they're going to need a faith that's going to get them through what we know is coming. And we have to um, train them for that and instill those things in them. And it can't come from a place where we, we, we're living off the tired statement. It has to become real. For me, it's like, you know, I have a casual understanding of prophecy. I know who all the things pertain to and I know a general succession of what's supposed to happen, et cetera, et cetera. But as for the nitty gritty details, for me, being totally honest, I was like, this is a wake up call, Shah. You can't just have a casual Christianity. It's not going to get you through. And we read all the statements of, you know, you know, we, we know that we're going to need to give a stand for our faith, et cetera, et cetera. And we think, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Of course, I'm going to do that. But something that I was reading about the ceiling, um, and the importance of that, that it's a settling into the truth. What does the settling into something mean? Like when you move house, um, what does it mean to settle into your house? It, it's 
you know, you rearrange things, you, you understand where everything goes. I know in my kitchen where each and every drawer is and what spoon goes where. I've settled into my kitchen and I've made it my own. It's personal. And I think that's what we have to do now with our faith. It has to become personal. We have to settle into it. We need to know where all of the bits and pieces fit. We need to know um, the signs of things so that I can actively be ready so that, you know, I can protect my family. I, I can instill in my children an understanding of where things are going. So for me, verse 11, um, you know, we know the time and it's high time to wake up out of sleep. So um, for me, this whole, I, I'm, it's horrible to say, but I'm grateful for this situation and I can take the positives that it's, it's woken me up, that I have to awaken that statement. So it's not a tired old statement. Um, but the reality is that Jesus is coming soon. And what does that actively mean for me? What you said reminds me of the, the parable of the 10 virgins. Um, and I, when I read Romans 13 over, I, I, that verse, I, that's the verse I was about to talk about. That verse jumped out at me like, man, it's time to wake up. And here's what's mm. deep. The parable, of the, the parable of the 10 virgins says, even if you were raised in the church, you probably sleep it. No matter who you are, you probably sleep it. All 10 of the virgins fell asleep. So I like what you're saying because all of us have a, an awakening. All of us have to get up. I think this thing has brought um, a lot of Adventists back to question. Um, people were calling me that stopped going to church, drinking, carrying on, partying, sleeping around. Dr. Walsh, is this the end of the world? Like, I need to know what's going on. So the opportunity now for us to help others awaken as well, I think is going to be very big. I want to read this verse. My wife just passed this to me. John 17, 33 says, these, John 16, sorry, 33 says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Mm -hmm. So we can awaken, not just in that we are more aware, but we can awaken in peace so that we mm -hmm. don't have the stress that the rest of the world has. When I was a kid, the idea that Jesus was coming was stressful. It does not have to be. We have peace because he overcame the world. Mm -hmm. right. Appreciate that. I just wanted to throw out maybe, is there anyone else who wants to share, like, how do you, what text do you use, or, or not use, but what text do you read, or what, 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 what brings you hope in a crisis? Because I think there's a lot of people, as you mentioned, uh, Doug, that, that are fearful and are scared at the minute, like, how can we as Christians, and what, what hope do we find in, in God's word? I, I, think, I think for me, the, the hope that uh, um, prophecy gives hope, um, that all of this, you know, that we shouldn't be afraid in the sense that all of this has been foretold. A lot of times we think prophecy, like it's all predictive, it's, it's dates and numbers and all that other stuff. No, no, no. There's, there's, prophecy gives hope, you know. Jesus says, I've told you these, these things before they come to pass. So that when they do that, when they do come to pass, ye might believe, ye might have faith, ye might have a hope. And so when I, you know, for me, when I see this, the, the, the franticness, the, the fear, all of this was told by Jesus, you know. And so we shouldn't be caught off guard. And because I can, I can turn back to the Word of God, knowing with hope and certainty that if He's foretold all these things, He's gonna, He's already told, told me what to do in these times of uncertainty. So for me, prophecy gives me hope. Jesus, of course, is the center of prophecy. Yeah, you, you kind of tried to lightweight steal my text, but that's all right. I love you anyway, bro. Uh, John 13, <laughs> John 13, 19, man. Now I tell you before it come, so that when it has come to pass, 
ye might believe that I am he. Um, predictive prophecy and the fact that uh, Jesus has made us aware that things like this are going to happen and even worse. Um, it's a reminder, not only that Jesus knows, but that he has the power to intervene and that he is in control. Um, I think the Sabbath school lesson last week talked about Michael standing up. And um, uh, I, like to, I like to picture Jesus being in control and being able to stand up on my behalf and on behalf of all of his people, um, even in the midst of crisis. The, the worst that the crisis will ever become in Earth's history is going to be the moment of deliverance. It's going to be the moment of Jesus actually standing up and rescuing his people, not just in a temporary sense, giving us a little bit of reprieve, but he's going to be rescuing us in an eternal sense. So I think John 13, 19, these things have I told you before they come to pass, that when they come to pass, you might believe that I am he. And so it's an encouragement for me to um, have more confidence, not only that Jesus knows, but that he has the power to intervene. I want to just uh, piggyback off that real quick. Um, what what uh, Pastor Steve was mentioning, uh, all of these things ha has been prophesied, the deliverance and all of this. And so if if prophecy gives us hope, then as Seventh-day Adventists, we shouldn't quit preaching prophecy. Yes. Now is no time to quit preaching prophecy, man. You know, you know, if, if, if prophecy Amen. in that sense gives me hope, gives you hope, and, 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 I, and I say this with, 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 um, with emphasis because I'm noticing a shift away from our prophetic message, the very message that is supposed to give us hope in these times of uncertainty. So I think a, a linked with that encouragement is also a challenge not to quit preaching prophecy. Right. Something, something just, go on, Charlie. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead, you're okay, good. Okay, okay. I was just going to say that the fulfillment, <laughs> the fulfillment of prophecy, which we know obviously is Christ coming. I mean, there's always the question, you know, Am I going to be saved? I don't, how am I going to be saved? I don't know if I'm ready, you know, all of these things. And for me, I go back to Isaiah 62, where I just love the book of Isaiah, but this particular verse, it says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. And it continues. But for me, it's like, that shows that my God, my Jesus is not going to give up until I'm saved. I'll have to be kicking and screaming and fighting against him to be lost. He's looking for any excuse to save me. And as faulty and as failing as I know that I am, I have hope and confidence that God is going to use anything in his power to save me as long as I have that desire. He says, you know, if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Um, and it's not to say that we can just have a casual Christianity. It's like, oh yeah, I believe, yeah. No, there's, there's more to it. But at the root of that, and in my heart of hearts, you can, I can have hope and confidence, aside from my failings, knowing that my God is not going to give up on me until I am saved. One of my favorite texts in a crisis is from Lamentations. And Lamentations was written at, at a crisis. So mm. Nebuchadnezzar has come, he's, he's destroyed Jerusalem. Um, it's a bad scene. The walls are gone, he's ransacked the temple. Um, people have been killed, he's taken, whoever he's taken, it's a bad scene, it's a crisis. And 
what um, Jeremiah says, in the middle of the crisis, there's something that he does in the middle of his crisis. Verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So what Jeremiah's technique is in the middle of crises is, is to bring something to mind, is to remember that God's mercies um, you know, are new every morning and his compassions fail not. So that's something that I try and intentionally do. In the middle of crises where you know, the news is kind of, kind of making you feel fearful, just call to mind that God's mercies are not consumed. His compassions fail not and his mercies are new every morning. And because of his goodness that we are not consumed, sorry. So yeah, that's 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 what that's what. I let me let me say one more thing. Um, Sister Charlene was speaking and brought this to my mind, and that's Philippians one six. And um, here's where I'm gonna piggyback on what Douglas said. We should preach prophecy, but prophecy is not merely about events. Yes. Prophecy mm -hmm. is not merely about what the Pope is going to do and yes. what the governments and powers of our world are going to do. Prophecy also speaks about what God is going to do. Amen. Philippians yeah. 1 6 says, He who hath begun a good work in you. Oh, I wish I had a church. Come on now, preach. Yes, yes. He who hath begun a good work in you will be it. faithful to complete it unto the day. And so we have we have we have prophecy in terms of events that are going to take place, but there is also prophecy concerning the work that God is going to complete in his church Amen. so i look at yeah. the fact that jesus wants to come and have a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing i look at you know the hundred and forty-four thousand and all of these things these are they that have come out of great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb i look at all of those as prophecies concerning what god is going to do for and in and through his people and so mm -hmm. if we're only preaching about the events then we're really not preaching the, the wow. whole of that thing. If, if, if there's every prophecy that, that I think that's going on right now, Revelation 13 is yet to come. But I think if there's a prophecy that's in the process of being fulfilled right now, as what Steve mentioned that we need to be bringing up, is the outpouring of the latter rain, Christ in you, the hope yeah. of glory. Yeah. 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 Let me jump in right here. I think um, um, it's the same spirit that has promoted evolution is the same spirit that decries and suppresses uh, the, the, the proper preaching of prophecy. Because if evolution is right, God can't be right and evolution is right. If God is lying to us in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, why can, how do we believe him in John chapter three and verse 16? I say that all the time, it, it, the two can't go together. The same spirit suppresses prophecy because when the word of God is seen to be sure, people will be drawn to Christ. When you, it is the proof. You know how many people have come to God because they've studied the seven last plague. They've studied all of the prophets of scripture, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and they've come to this knowledge and man, I need it. That, that, that thing is accurate. If you don't understand that, you don't understand something else. And, and, and Pastor Steve just referred to this. By knowing that the word of God is sure, you know the end from the beginning. It's as if you got a chance to read the end of the book and then go back and read the book from the beginning and know that at the end, the people who need to be alive are alive at the end and that they wind up, everything winds up perfectly for them. Here's the, here's the verse I want to hit. Revelation chapter 15, 
verse two and three. I preached on this last night. Um, and I saw as it were, Revelation uh, 15, two and three. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Powerful. Then verse three says, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. If you understand prophecy and you stop at the tribulation, you, 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 you're not going to get this thing. Mm -hmm. You got to read all the way to the sea of glass. You yeah. got to get yeah. God hands you a harp. And the yeah. harp, I believe the harp is a living, breathing uh, uh, organism so that the harp itself is like able to sing along with you. And, and so once you understand prophecy, you get to get the good stuff at the end. That means when they strip us of okay. everything on this earth, I still remember I got a crown. Come I got on a, now. I got a seat at the welcome table. It's just like the, 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 the passage from Lamentations is the same principle. When you are at your lowest, you must remember that at his best. Because the world is falling apart. I want the world to fall apart. It must fall apart. Yes. Yes. Oh. I, I can't get my harp if the world don't fall apart first. And I want my harp. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you, Dr. Walsh. Thank you. Um, I think on that note, I think we're going to we're gonna uh, draw things to a close. I really appreciate all the thoughts and comments as we've, we've kind of progressed from where we are with Corona, um, how it relates to us as a church today, how it relates to government, but then closing here on how it relates to us having hope in, in the word of God, hope in prophecy, hope in Jesus Christ, and, and, and hope in, in all of that. So I want to thank uh, each one of you for coming, Pastor Doug, Pastor Steve, uh, Charlene, Dr. Eric Walsh, Sam Walters. I want to thank Tammy as well for um, the amens in the background. Amen, amen. Reach your pastor. Social distancing. Hey, pastor, I'd, I'd be happy to do this again, man. And like, like someone said earlier. Um, it almost feels like we're back fellowshipping in church by doing this. So, <laughs> amen. You guys are doing this, again. this is a lot of fun. Hey, I'd love to have all of you back yeah. on again. Love to have you all back on again. Um, we're going to be doing this every Friday night, um, as long as the lockdown in the UK goes on, which who knows, it's going to be three to four or five months probably. So, wow. Wow. So, yeah, we'll be in touch and we'd love to have you guys on again. I really appreciate the discussion tonight. It's been great. It's, um, and uh, praise the Lord. I'd like to ask the, mm -hmm. Dr. Walsh if you mind closing with a word of prayer as we bring this, uh, this study to a close. After we bring this study to a close, we'll, we'll go off air, but we, if you guys just stay on for a second or two um, before um, you sign off. All right, by your heads. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to defy time and space by using technology to have fellowship and Bible study and words of encouragement, Lord. I, I praise you, Lord, for the words of encouragement I heard from my fellow believers um, on this uh, Zoom meeting. And I pray that, Lord, you would continue to let the words of encouragement echo around in our hearts and minds all week as we deal with this crazy um, pandemic that the world uh, is under. I pray a blessing on everyone that participated in this meeting. I pray, Lord, that you touch each ministry and where they are. And I am asking, Lord, that we would all be stronger Christians. I, I love our sisters verse um, that it is high time, Lord, 
that we wake up out of our sleep. Lord, help us to all be wide awake, waiting and ready for what you need us to do next. Bless us to that end, Lord. Bless uh, Pastor Adam Ramden and all the great work he does up there in North England Conference. Bless the, the membership of the North England Conference, the leadership of the North England Conference, that, Lord, they would continue to proclaim your word to a dying world. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, guys. And goodbye to our live audience. Thank you for being with us. And we look, to see, we look forward to seeing you again. Check out our youth website for the upcoming uh, events we have next week. And we have church tomorrow at 1030 UK time. God bless you.